Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of My Naked Mindset. I am your host, Janae Ledger. Thank you so much for being here today. This is episode number 45. I am recording this at the end of February, specifically February 28th. It is March tomorrow, which honestly blows my mind. I'm like, where did February go? It went out the window. It was so quick, crazy. I hope you guys are excited for spring and March and all the good things. Um, I just went on a ski trip with some friends and Tyler and we had such a good time. The conditions were amazing. We went up to Vermont. It was honestly just such a nice little getaway and it was just very, very relaxing and enjoyable. Although my body is very, very sore today, I will not lie. I hope that you've been enjoying the episodes lately. If this is your first time listening, I truly appreciate you listening, no matter how you found me, I so appreciate it. Definitely share an episode with your friend if it resonates with you or them, if you think they might, you know, need some advice on some foreplay or some communication styles or, you know, spicing it up in the bedroom. I mean, I got something for everyone, friendship boundaries, everything. So just a few things before I start the episode, I did finish Love is Blind 2. If you have not finished it, skip ahead a couple, a little bit. I finally finished it. Tyler and I watched the ending. I was so shook. I think two of the six couples decided to get married, which I I was just like, wow. The people that did get married, I thought wouldn't, and the people that didn't, I thought would, so it was just insane. I mean... That show is so good because you really just don't know how people are going to go about it. Like, are they going to stay together and maybe not get married and say no at the altar? Or they're going to just kind of go for it and say, you know what, this is my person. Let's make this work. I know I've only known you for like a month and some change, but let's do the damn thing. So very interesting story. I mean, of course, if you know me, you know I love my dating, relationship shows. You know, I love The Bachelor, all of that good stuff. Speaking of The Bachelor, we are down to four women and that shit is getting so good. I can't wait to see the ending and who he sleeps with because he tells the girls that he's in love with three of them and that he slept with all of them. So that's probably not going to go over well for Clayton. But you know what? Shit happens and honestly, I feel like I don't know. I feel like you get to test out the car before you buy it, right? That's like a it's like a thing. I mean, I could never not sleep with someone before I marry them, but if that's your thing, good for you because I can't keep it in my pants, clearly. Um, but I know a lot of people do that for religious reasons or they just want to be celibate and, you know, only have sex with their spouse when they get married. Do you, but I give you a lot of credit. Anyways, I just went off on a tangent. This episode, I want to give a trigger warning. There is going to be talk about cancer, treatment, um, specifically breast cancer. So trigger warning to anyone if that's too sensitive for you. Maybe just skip out on this episode, but I wanted to say that up front. I am very excited to have this guest and to share her story and spread awareness about breast cancer. This will also be a two-part podcast, so definitely listen to part two when it comes out. All right, everyone. I have a very special guest today. She is a wife, dog mom, dance teacher, and choreographer specializing in tap dancing. Everyone, please welcome Nicole to the show. Hi guys, so happy to be here. (laughs) So excited to chat with you today and just share some experiences you've been through, but I really want to start off by just asking about like your dance teaching and just how you got into that. Yeah, um, sure. So I started teaching dance um, 10 years ago. Um, So I started teaching when I was in college. I went to... um, the University of Central Florida, go Knights, um, and was majoring in interdisciplinary studies there with a minor in dance. And actually, 
got connected with a teacher in the Orlando area that owned her own studio and needed a tap teacher. Tap dance has always been my favorite. So I started teaching one class a week and I was always one of those kids that when I was like, when I graduated high school and was like looking to go away to school, um, I started my college career as a dance major at a conservatory in Miami and then decided that Miami wasn't for me. And I didn't know if I necessarily wanted to be a professional dancer and like, but I knew I wanted to dance in some way. So I transferred to UCF, um, was out there and taught my first dance class at 20 years old and was like, this is what I want to do. Um, I absolutely loved it. And I'm super thankful that, um, you know, the mentor and teacher that I had in Orlando that owned the studio um, was like open to that. Um, you know, I had no experience. I was 20 years old and she was kind of open to like training me and giving me advice. So I'm super thankful for that. Um, so I did that all throughout college, started out at one studio with one class a week. And then by the time I graduated, um, I was teaching at two different studios pretty regularly with multiple classes a week and was subbing here and there and doing like some guest artist classes and some guest artist work. Um, and then after graduating from UCF, I did a contract with SeaWorld with their Sesame Workshop um, thing that they have there. I know um, recently they just did like a whole like Sesame Street land and they have like a Sesame Street parade. Um, so they would do Sesame Street shows. So it's like full costume character work. Um, so I did that. And then um, right about when my contract was going to end with SeaWorld, I auditioned for Sesame Street Live. So I toured. Yeah, with Sesame Street Live um, as Elmo and Elmo Makes Music. I love so, it. <laughs> so I worked as Elmo um, for quite a bit and toured uh, the Northeast in Canada. Um, so that was, it was amazing. Such a fun experience, but it was definitely a lot of hard work. I bet. Um, That's yeah. like a constant grind, I'm sure. Constant. I mean, I think there were some like months where we were hitting like two to three cities a week, like Monday. Wow you were in one city Wednesday, you were somewhere else. And Friday, you were like opening a show somewhere else. Like some days it was like, where even am I? Like what? <laughs> Literally. Did you go on yeah. a tour bus or how did that work? So yeah. So we were on a bus. Wow. So we had a cast and crew of 28 people and we would hop on our bus and. That must've been such a cool, crazy experience. Yeah. It was a cool, crazy experience. It was, it was cool. It was definitely crazy. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun though. Sometimes I miss it. Like, yeah, like, totally. like you just like miss the energy of like being on stage. And then it's such a cool thing because people don't know that it's you in there. Right. So that you're like able to like go on with like life and things like that. So that was always interesting. Um, but I did that. And then right around the time my contract was ending, um, for that, I relocated to South Florida. I'm originally from South Florida. Okay. Um, so I just moved back to the area, um, a full-time position opened up at the dance studio that I actually grew up dancing at, um, that's dancing in Lake Worth. So I started teaching there. Um, I think this is my eighth season. So eight years ago, I started teaching full-time there. Um, and you know, I have a full schedule of classes and I work with the competitive dance company doing choreography and have you know lots of other projects in the works um through my teaching there I actually um partnered up with um one of my good friends and mentors to create the SoFlo tap festival so before COVID happened we were doing like an annual tap fest bringing tap dancers together from all over the U.S. and bringing in professional master teachers and it was just a weekend of tap dancing and so much fun um we've had to like rewrite the layout of how we do it from COVID, but I'm right. still trying to keep it going, but it's been, so that's what I do. So I tap dance, I teach, I love what I do. That's amazing. Um, that's so inspiring too. Like, I love when people are so passionate about something and they get to do it every day. It's, it's just, it's amazing to me. I love that. And I, I've always loved the sound of the tap dance. I, it's just like a sound like no other. I know that sounds yeah, super yeah. weird, but I just love no, the. Doesn't sound weird at all. <laughs> so you, you said you danced as a child up until. Yeah. So um, I started dancing. We lived so Lake Worth is like about twenty minutes south of West Palm Beach. Mm -hmm. So when 
I first started dancing, I was in Sunrise. So about 40 minutes south of where I'm at now. Um, and I started dancing a little bit later. I want to say I was like 10 years old. Okay. So I didn't, you know, my mom tried to put me, it's funny. My mom tried to put me in dance when I was younger. And I remember being like, this is dumb. I don't want to do this. Um, and then I played tennis for like three or four years. And then, um, my sister started dance when she was like three or four. And I remember going to like her recital and watching like, you know, other like older dancers dance. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Yes. So I ended up starting at like, you know, beginner classes at like 10 years old and then move, we moved to Lake Worth. And then I found that's dancing, which was about a 10 minute drive from my parents' house. Wow. And I was like, this is where I want to dance. And yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And the fact that you also teach now there too, it's, that's just, it's like a, a 360. I know. I know. That's it's definitely cool. like a full circle, like moment. Um, it's great. Totally. I love it. That's good. That's so inspiring. Like I said, I just, there's nothing better than loving what you do every day. I feel wow. like that's just, and not many people, if we're being honest, not many people can say that they love what they do every day. You know, I know I'm definitely, I definitely consider myself lucky in that wow. aspect that I'm able to do what I love every day. Some yeah. days, you know, it is, it is work. So there are days that I'm just like, I would rather like, you know, cuddle with my dog than go to work. But at the end of the day, like I do love what I do. Now, what's the age range? Um, so I teach ages three. Sorry, here's a dog. Here's a dog. <laughs> love oh. it. So I teach ages three all the way up to adults. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I'm actually the director of our young dancer program, which is a program geared towards um, kids ages three to six years old that want to take dance class. So I oversee, um, you know, those faculty members in that program. And then I teach all ages after that. Wow. That's super cool. I love it. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's definitely fun. All right, guys. So we're going to get into the main topic today, which is a little bit of a deep, heavy topic. Um, we're going to be talking about Nicole's diagnosis of breast cancer at the age of 30. So that's going to be our topic today. Um, Nicole is going to share some of her experiences. Um, so let's just kick it off. Um, I guess, how did this journey start? And I guess, how did you, you know, find out about your diagnosis? So I actually worked on like a timeline today. So I was like, kind of like going back and like thinking. Um, so I want to say like January, 2021, I started experiencing some like random symptoms, like nothing, you know, mm. like nothing that you would think would be like cancer or breast cancer. Um, I was like experiencing some like bilateral joint pain and like swelling specifically like in my ankles and um I had like extreme fatigue like I was just so tired all the time and uh my symptoms actually lined up with like early signs of rheumatoid arthritis okay um so arthritis runs in my family just like general arthritis um so that's like one of the precursors to like having rheumatoid arthritis so I actually went to a chiropractor that like I go to see here you know every once in a while and was like these are my symptoms this is what I'm experiencing and he ordered lab work immediately because I guess you can test for um RA through blood work there's like I guess a marker that they look for that can show it so I went and I got all this lab work done and about like two weeks after initially going to see him um, he got my results back and I was negative for rheumatoid arthritis, which was great news, but still didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, but he said that my vitamin D was like, like sufficiently low. Like he was basically like, this is strange. Like being as young as you are being that you live in Florida and you spend so much time outside. Like the fact that your vitamin D is this low is just crazy. So he ended up putting me on like a really strong vitamin D supplement it's kind okay. of boost it. And he was like, see, you know, if this helps, but then said, you know, follow up with like your primary care physician. So that way you can figure out why it's so low, right? You know, we could fix it, but it's also important to know why. Cause that was my first question. Like, why would this happen? Like what causes something like this? So followed up with my primary care physician. She retested for RA as well as like a number of other things. 
Um, I have a strong family history of like thyroid disease, both like hyper and hyper hypothyroidism. So um, she tested me for everything, like based on my family history. Um, and did a full autoimmune panel, everything like that. And everything came back negative. And by this time I had already been on the vitamin D supplement for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So my vitamin D levels were back to normal and I was like starting to feel better. So that was good news. I was like, okay, maybe I was feeling bad because my vitamin D is so low, but that still didn't tell us like why. And me, I was just like being like as active as I am. I was like, this is not normal. Like, why is it like this? Like, what do I need to do? Like, let's fix it. So um, that was in February that like I went and got like all those tests done and everything like that. Um, March came, still couldn't, still had no idea what was wrong. And I remember talking to my primary care physician through like a telehealth visit. And she was basically like, I don't can't find anything wrong with you, but I'll write you a referral to whoever you want to see. Like, you want to see a specialist? Like, I'll write you a referral. She was like, because clearly this is important to you to like figure out what right. was causing this. And you have every right to, it's your, it's your body. Yeah. And like, I, I always say that I'm like extremely lucky that my entire, throughout my entire experience, my medical team um, have really listened to me and mm-hmm. took like everything I said seriously and like I was able to self-advocate for a lot of things and they didn't just brush me off so like I was very lucky in that aspect um so she gave me a couple names of people that she would recommend but like of course life gets in the way I was starting to feel better so I just you know tucked the card that she gave me away and uh was like oh I'll call later I'll call later let me let them out they're like crazy no that's okay what's up Okay. Sorry. No, you're totally fine. Okay. So that was March. So April, I was still experiencing like fatigue and was noticing that my body was having a hard time recovering after working out. Mm -hmm. Um, I did CrossFit for like three, four years leading up to all of this, loved it. Um, but was always able to work out in the morning at like nine 30, 10 run errands, do whatever you know, walk the dogs, do whatever I needed to do and then go to work. And by the time I got to work, you know, I was a little bit tired, but you know, my body was feeling good. I was like, you know, recovered from my workout. And I was just starting to notice that I was having like, um, like muscle spasms, Mm. like, you know, muscle cramping, things like that. Like while I was stretching or while I was teaching, I was like, so sore. I was just like, I don't know what is going on. So I like upped my water intake cleaned up my diet, like did like, you know, normal things. Um, You know, I ate pretty relatively healthy to begin with, but, you know, cut down on like sugar and things like that. You know, you do your research and they tell you avoid this if these are your symptoms. So I was doing my best to do all of that. And um, I mean, it helped a little bit, but May I was still experiencing like mild joint pain, switched from CrossFit to Pilates thinking like, maybe it's the workout. Basically, I was like, I turned 30 in my life. Just like, I just like went all downhill (laughs) is how I felt. Um, So like, that was crazy. Um, So end of May, I kind of like experienced my first like breast related symptom. Um, My husband and I were being intimate and he like touched my right breast and it was so painful. like literally like everything stopped and I was like that hurt so bad like what like what was that and you know he was basically like you should go get that looked at like that wasn't a normal reaction like that seemed like it hurt really bad and at this point we were coming out of COVID so it had been a while since I had gone for an annual and I feel like that has attributed to a lot of the breast cancer diagnosis diagnoses that we're seeing in 2022 that we're seeing now because so many people didn't get their mammograms, didn't follow up with their, you know, OBGYN for their annuals. So they weren't seeing people. So now, you know, we're seeing more people being diagnosed and then also people being diagnosed at like later stages. So it had been like, you know, a little over a year we were in COVID. So I made an appointment and, um, 
Um, my appointment was like for June or something like that. So, you know, we had some travel, some trips planned. So I was like trying to work around that. So I went, June comes, I go to the appointment, tell her about my symptoms. Um, most of them had subsided. Uh, so like the tenderness and like the sensitivity had kind of gone away, but it was still like a little bit sore. She just attributed it to like, you know, my period and hormones and things like that. Um, but, you know, I talked to her about the joint pain, filled her in on like what was going on. And she was like, try these anti-inflammatory supplements. Like, you know, this like basically said the same thing the other doctors were saying, like, can't, I don't see anything wrong, but, you know, clearly you're, you know, upset by this. And this is something that like, you want to get to the bottom of. So like, I'll help you with whatever you need, but didn't really have a direction to point me in. Hmm. Um, we did traveling in June and I was, you know, starting to feel fine, but I was still feeling like there's no other way to describe it other than like puffy. Like I felt like puffy. So July comes, um, and Saturday, July 10th, I was getting home from, um, my grandmother's celebration of life. She passed away in February, but because of COVID, we had to push everything back. So July we were doing her service and her celebration of life. And I remember, you know, it was outside, it was Florida. So I was wearing, you know, like a sundress and I was like, I'm not going to wear a bra. I'm just going to, you know, wear those little pasties yeah. and, you know, it's the middle of July <laughs> in Florida and we're going to be outside. So I was like, so I'm going to, I'm going to do this. So got home. This was Saturday, July 10th. And I remember taking the pasty off and basically being like, Oh, my, my nipples bleeding. Like that's weird. Aww. Right. So, so, you know, I told my husband and he was like, did you maybe like cut yourself or, you know, accidentally like scratch yourself or something? I was like, I don't see anything. I'm like, it's definitely like my, my nipple is bleeding. Like this is right, strange. Right. So I do what every person does. And I Google my symptoms. <laughs> yeah, so yes, it could lead you down a rabbit hole. Um, so I Googled my symptoms and basically discovered it could be one of two, two things. Um, the first one is called an introductal papilloma or it was early stage breast cancer. And I remember walking um, into the guest room where my husband was. And like telling him like, so I Googled it and I either have this like introductal papilloma or I have breast cancer. And I, re I remember he like looked at me and he was like, you don't have breast cancer. And I was like, what if I do? I can't even describe it, but like in my gut, I knew that's what it was. Really? Yeah. Like I knew, like I knew like. Yeah, like the minute I Googled it and it came back with like, it's an introductal papilloma or it's early stage breast cancer. I just like knew that like I had just discovered that I had early stage breast cancer. So at that minute, you know, I was literally like, okay, I need to call the, this was Saturday. So, you know, I'm freaking out on a Saturday. There's no doctors open on Sunday. Right. I was like, okay, so I'll call Monday. I'll see if they could get me in right away. And I'll see um, <clears throat> what, you know, what's up. Um, so an introductal papilloma, uh, is basically a benign tumor that projects like a finger from the lining of the duct. So it's inside the milk duct. Okay. And it causes a blockage, which is why it requires, like why it, um, creates like, um, like blood or sometimes you'll get like fluid from the nipple. Um, gotcha. and a lot, like they're pretty common. Like if that's the symptom, they're pretty common. Like I want to say like, Every doctor I went to, which like, you know, I'll go into more detail, but every doctor I went to that I saw was basically like, it's an introductal papilloma. Like nobody thought it was cancer. Wow. So they end up being like pretty common. So I called my OBGYN Monday morning, told them about my symptoms. And this is the same doctor I saw in June. Okay. And they were able to get me in that afternoon. Like they were like, okay, this isn't normal. We'll get you in right away. Um, I had physical exam and my doctor took samples of the bloody nipple discharge and ran a cytology. Like I said, she said, I most likely had an introductal papilloma based on my family history. I have no family history of breast cancer. Okay. Um, I don't really have a family history of cancer in general. Um, I'm at the time, you know, I was 30 years old and right. I was healthy. 
Um, I was active. I wasn't overweight. I don't smoke. So based on like those things alone, they were like, you have nothing to worry about. This is not cancer. Like most likely not cancer. You have nothing to worry about. Right. So I'm trying to convince myself that this is an introductal papilloma, even though like I know, like in my gut that it's probably cancer. And I want to believe these doctors. I really, really do. (laughs) That's the hard part. It's like, you want to believe them, but at the same time, you're like, I know my body. I know something is off. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like no one, yes, doctors are doctors and they obviously went to school for a long time, but sometimes when you feel something and you're like, this is not right. Like, please keep testing and doing everything you need to, because you need to have, you know, the assurance of, Hey, I need to figure out what's going on. So yes, no. And that's exactly how I felt. Like I didn't want like a gray area answer. Like I was like, absolutely run all the tests because like, I really don't want this to be cancer, but I really feel like it is, but like, don't give like, you know, for me, it was like, oh, it's most likely not. Like I wasn't satisfied with that. This most likely is not cancer. I was like, I need like a concrete, like we ran a test, not cancer. Absolutely. Like, you know, a piece of paper or something. So that's where I was at. So Tuesday, July 13th, I get a text from my doctor. So like, that's the other thing. Like my team literally, like she texted me, like was like, this is important information you need to know. Um, my cytology came back and I had a, a, a staph infection in my right breast. So she called in antibiotics right away because she's like, this could be serious. And she was, you know, right. like, did you hit yourself? Did you cut yourself that you could have like gotten an infection? And you know, I was like, not that I can remember, at least nothing that serious. So she was like, okay, so something must be going on in your body. And it was basically like, maybe this is why you were also experiencing these other symptoms. Oh, I see. Right. So I started antibiotics that day and, um, a couple, maybe like a week later, I go for my first ultrasound to see and to see a specialist. So the results of my first ultrasound came back as inconclusive and they really couldn't find anything out of the ordinary, but they also couldn't really see much because of the staph infection. So whenever like a young, a younger person goes for like an ultrasound, a mammogram or a breast MRI, the breast tissue of a young person is so dense that sometimes it's hard to see to begin with. And then you layer a staph infection on top of that. And like, they just... They were like, we're seeing some things, but we don't really know what it is because it's not clear. Right. So, you know, I told them like, well, I have a staph infection. I'm on antibiotics and they were, and I was like, so what if I just come back when I'm done with the antibiotics? Yeah. And they were hesitant to like schedule it with me there without like talking to a doctor. Like, you know, you need like a referral for an ultrasound. So, but I was like adamant. I was like, no, like these results were inconclusive. Like, I just really want, again, a concrete black and white. As you you have the right to, right. Right. So they were like, okay, we, we, we see your point. We'll definitely, it's very valid. We'll definitely schedule a second MRI. Um, but I took those, uh, that film that day, like they gave me a disc with all the pictures from the ultrasound on it. And I went and saw my breast surgeon and he looked at the scans and he was told me the same thing my OBGYN said this looks like it could be an introductal papilloma but we can't really say because you have a staph infection so we'll get that cleared up but again most likely isn't cancer based on your age your weight your lifestyle and your family history so I told him that I scheduled a second ultrasound because I was like, I'm basically like not satisfied with, no. you know, the inconclusive. And he was like, I completely agree. That's Come and see me after the second ultrasound. So Thursday, August 5th, I go over my second ultrasound and my results came back inconclusive again, but I'm this time I'm told to follow up with the breast surgeon. Inconclusive, meaning that Again, I have dense breast tissue, but at the same time, they're like, we see something, but we don't know exactly what it is. Okay. So, you know, go and see a specialist. Um, I remember like calling my husband and telling him like, you know, after leaving the ultrasound, like, oh, they couldn't really see anything. They also said things like this could be a cyst. It could be like a skin issue. 
versus like the breast tissue issue. So there were like a lot of things it could be. They just weren't sure. So I remember calling my husband, explaining that to him and like telling a couple of friends that I was kind of like keeping privy to like what was going on. And like everybody asked me, cause I was like, oh, I'll just go on Monday and I'll see the breast sur- surgeon and I'll see the specialist. And they were like, oh, well, if, you know, they think there's nothing wrong and they can't really figure it out and nothing's showing up in the ultrasound, like, why are you going to go? And I was like, you know, like in the back of my mind and like in my gut, I was like, because I know this is cancer and I don't want to like, just be like, oh, it's nothing. Right. No. But the other thing is, is I didn't tell anybody that I knew it was cancer until like after I was diagnosed. So it wasn't like I was coming home and I was like, cause I didn't want to freak anybody out. And again, like, you're just thinking like, well, maybe I'm just like being crazy. No, your health is so important. And it's so hard to like juggle that balance of like, I need to know that I'm okay. And like, also like I have the right to push the doctors, no matter what they're saying, like I need a answer and I'm not going to take a, a no, or maybe, or yes. Like I need to know exactly what's going on. And and I'm so glad that you kept pushing because yes, me too. Oh, but you know, like I kind of kept that to myself because I didn't want to like worry anybody. Right. You know, so I kept that to myself. Right. Yeah. So I, I kind of kept that to myself and then, you know, went to my appointment on Monday. Um, so that was Monday, August 9th. Uh, was it the 8th or the 9th? August 9th. So Monday, August 9th, I go to my follow-up appointment with my breast surgeon. He tells me that my ultrasound, again, like it looks good, but he's not like, he's not satisfied. He's like, you have very dense breast tissue. Clearly there's something there. Um, also every time I go for any of these things, they ask me, Oh, are you still having the discharge? Yeah. Yes. So I feel like that was the other reason for like myself and like, you know, my doctors to keep pushing because my symptoms hadn't changed. Okay. So it was continuing. Yeah. It wasn't like the staph infection cleared up and then, you know, the discharge stopped and I was feeling better. And I just, you know, was pushing for answer. Like my symptoms had not changed. Um, so my breast surgeon and my OBGYN started working like a little bit closely together and they both agreed to run a second cytology on the nipple discharge just to kind of see if anything else came up. And the cytology report came back that abnormal cells were present. Um, and basically I was in the appointment and my doctor's like demeanor kind of changed when he said that. Um, you know, I could tell that he was taking it more seriously and he asked if I could stay for a mammogram, um, like immediately after. So, you know, he wrote me a referral. I walked across the hall, um, to a different office mm-hmm. and <clears throat> had, had my, mam- my first mammogram ever. And also my last mammogram ever, um, had my most- correct. um, actually no, no. So. I think it depends on the technician that's performing it. My technician was great. She, you know, I told her it was my first mammogram. Um, I also told her I was, you know, nervous because I hear that, you know, it's painful. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is what I'll say just through like this whole experience. I am the type of person that I want to know exactly what you're doing as you're doing it. So talk me through everything. I did the same thing with my ultrasound. Like, how does this go? What are like, you know, what do I need to do? What does this feel like? What are you doing now? And I felt like when I went into situations and was just upfront about feeling nervous or being apprehensive or having anxiety about certain things, like the medical team or the nurses or the doctors or the technicians that were involved, they kind of changed their approach to help me. Yeah, that's so good. Those feelings. So I think my advice sorry express that that to them like hey like I'm a little anxious and yeah or this is my first time I've never done this before like I have no idea what to expect because even like my mom would be like oh mammograms are so painful and so Mm -hmm. I went in thinking it was going to be so painful and I was like you know I hear this is so painful and she's like well I'll talk you through the whole thing and she said the exact same thing she goes it depends on your technician Mm -hmm. and I mean she was great she was fantastic was it did I like the way it feel? No, I didn't right, like the way it right. felt. Um, but 
I felt like I was prepared as she was doing it. I mean, it was uncomfortable, but you know, it wasn't like so painful that it was like excruciating. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I had my mammogram and I changed back into my clothes and I'm like in the little like second waiting area. And she tells me, okay, um, the radiologist will come grab you, um, to tell you your results shortly. I'm like, okay, you know, 10 minutes go by, 20 minutes go by, 30 minutes go by. She comes back in and she says, actually, you're going to go back across the hall to see your doctor. So that way he can give you the results. And I remember like walking back out into the main waiting room. My sister went with me to my appointment. And I remember walking back into the main waiting room and like looking at my sister and just being, I'm like, we have to go back to, you know, Dr. Barakal's office. Okay. So we go back and I'm just like walking and I'm like thinking in my head, like they're going to tell me I have cancer. Why else would I have to go back to the doctor? Like if everything was fine, a radiologist would have just been like, oh, everything's fine. You know, you're good to go. Um, so that was the day. So on August 9th was the day that I was unofficially diagnosed with cancer. Um, my doctor basically told me that <clears throat> He was 99% sure based on the mammogram that I had early stage breast cancer. And I don't remember exactly what he said or what I said, but it made it sound like it could be something else. So I was like, oh, like this could be something else. And he was like, no, I'm 99% sure this is cancer. He's like, I'll be shocked if it isn't cancer. So I was basically like, what are the next steps? What do we need to do? Um, so the next step was a biopsy. So we had to get a biopsy scheduled. Um, I was unofficially diagnosed with stage zero DCIS. Um, DCIS is ductal carcinoma in situ, which is a ductal cancer. Um, ductal cancer means that the cancer is still within the milk duct and it hasn't become invasive. So it hasn't, um, uh, grown outside into the breast tissue. Okay. Um, so a lot of people call it um, you can call it stage zero. Some people call it pre-cancer. I personally don't like calling it pre-cancer, um, because stage zero still requires surgery. It could still require, you know, operations, things like that. So they treat it the way cancer is treated. So I don't really like to call it pre-cancer. Um, but yeah, so stage zero DCIS. So I scheduled my biopsy the biopsy ended up being like the first available appointment that they had was like two weeks from that time. Um, so I called my OBGYN, you know, filled her in on like the results. And she was basically like, I heard, I'm so sorry. She was like, when is your biopsy? I told her the day and it was like two weeks. And she was like, that's unacceptable. She's like, I agree. Let me call back. definitely. So she calls me back maybe an hour or two later. And she was like, you're going in Friday. Like my OBGYN literally helped me get appointments moved up so I could like move quickly on this. And I'm so thankful because like, you know, when I got my pathology report back from having like my mastectomy, I'm like so thankful because this could have been so much worse. Like if we were pushing off things for like two weeks, three weeks, just because they had no like availability. Like basically I was being moved, you know, out of people that were just getting, you know, I guess whatever they needed to get an ultrasound for, because I definitely had cancer and had to move quick. Absolutely. Um, so Friday, the 13th, <laughs> I go in for my biopsy. Um, and I had a core needle biopsy with ultrasound done. Um, a core needle biopsy is basically like a type of biopsy that's um, done using a needle. So they don't have to like cut you. It's less invasive. Um, and they just basically take a small core of tissue and they use the ultrasound to find like where they're pulling the tissue from. Again, I didn't have a lump. You did not. Um, I did not. I did not have a lump, um, at all. And I think that's important to say, because I feel like growing up, that's what you're like trained to look for. Like they taught how to do like a self breast exam and you're taught, to look for lumps and you're not necessarily taught to look for other symptoms. I mean, you are, but they're not 
given such as big emphasis as like finding a lump. Like that's what you're right. looking for. You're looking for a lump. Um, so I think it's important to say that like I didn't have a lump. So, yeah. you know, definitely be aware of like your body and like that, all of that. Um, but really so they, did, they did a core needle biopsy. Um, again, uh, you know, I was numb in the area, but I was awake the whole time for the core needle biopsy. And again, I was like communicating with the ultrasound technicians and the doctor that was doing the biopsy, just basically letting them know, like, I'm nervous, you know, I even like, was like, is there a way that I can see the ultrasound as it's happening? Like, can you position me so I can like, right. And be a part of what's going on and like, see what's happening. Um, they thought that was a strange request, but they honored it. Good. Um, because some people don't like to see some people are like, I don't want to be, um, but they were able to honor that. So I was super thankful. Um, then August 17th, I left for a family vacation to LA. (laughs) Um, my brother goes to USC and we were seeing him off to college. He started as um, a freshman there. And, uh, so we flew in on the 17th and we had like a whole week of things, you know, they have like freshman orientation. Um, there's like a convocation, there's family things that you can do. So we had basically a whole week of activities planned plus some sightseeing and things like that. So, um, August 18th, we were at breakfast and they called me and confirmed my diagnosis. So on August 18th, I was officially diagnosed with stage zero DCIS. So my doctor's like prediction of it being stage zero DCIS was confirmed. Um, And the breakfast was just crazy. Like it's so, it was so funny. So we go to breakfast at this diner that has been around since like early like 1920s maybe. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know. That some of the things that happened on this day are just a blur. It's been around a while. Um, It's like a landmark in LA. So we go there you know, cash only, the food's delicious. So we have this tiny little table, there's six of us and we're all, you know, eating. And I spill orange juice all over my sister and she's freaking out. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're talking and we're planning, you know, what we're going to do that day. And uh, my dad's breakfast comes and he's got a double yolk on his eggs. And I, I was like, oh, dad, look like a double yolk. And he was like, oh, today's going to be a lucky day. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, and then I get a call that I have cancer. Um, that was just like a wild, like, just I very like ironic and like funny thing that like we're able to look back and laugh at. And you were surrounded by your family, too. So, yes, I, that must have been a tiny bit comforting, just like having your family right there and just being together, I'm sure. Definitely. An experience, but. definitely so um so we did that and uh we left breakfast and we went and we hiked the Hollywood sign um yeah so that was it ended up being like a good day but then it was just you know I had this diagnosis kind of like looming over me and it was crazy because we were in LA so for me it like wasn't real life like I was I was in LA the cancer wasn't like that was kind of like where I was at um but that Monday, the 23rd, um, I went and uh, met with my breast surgeon to discuss a treatment plan, um, which was wild because I felt like my vocabulary from August to ne- or June to now was basically, this is nothing to be concerned about. You have no family history of breast cancer. You're young, you're healthy to like treatment plans and what are my options and what do I need to prepare for? And it was just like a complete 180. Um, so Monday, August 23rd, I met with my breast surgeon to discuss my, discuss my treatment options. Um, my husband took off work that day and came with me. And I felt like at this point I had already like kind of researched like what they do for stage zero DCIS. Mm-hmm. A lot of what they do is like catered, like if you have a, like a small lump or, you know, things like that. So I was like, I don't really... I don't really know like what to expect. Um, But we went out for tacos and margaritas before the appointment because we were like, we should get some tequila to get through this appointment. Why not? Right. Yeah. Um, 
And I remember being at lunch and telling my husband, like, they're gonna, they're, I have a feeling they're gonna tell me I need a mastectomy. I was like, I don't want one. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I feel like that's what they're gonna tell me. Right. And he was like, well, you know, he's like, if that's what they tell you, like, we'll just, we'll figure out what we need to do and we'll do what needs to be done. And he's like, you know, try not to think about it. Um, so we get to the doctors and that's what my doctor tells me. He says, I have to have a mastectomy. Um, that's actually my only option, um, due to the amount of, uh, calcifications in my right breast. Um, so three quarters of my right breast from right behind my nipple, all the way to my chest wall were covered in calcifications. Um, and calcifications are calcium deposits in the breast tissue that can be seen by mammography. Um, so they just like showed up in the mammogram. Um, it's really hard to see them in dense tissue on an ultrasound. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So that's why like, like the ultrasounds, they could kind of see them, but they weren't like, you know, it didn't appear as many as there were. Um, so I had the mammogram and that they showed up in that, um, everyone has calcifications. They actually look like, um, specks of dust or like pieces of salt, like on film. So if you're looking at like a mammogram or like ultrasound images, um, or even like breast MRI, um, but doctors look at the shape size and how many there are when determining if there's cause for concern. So like if they're cancerous or not. Um, if they are tiny and tightly clustered and there aren't a whole lot of them, they're more likely to indicate non-invasive cancer. So that's the DCIS. So a lot of them tiny and like little clusters throughout. So I had that through three quarters of my right breast. So calcifications are basically cancer cells, but depending on how they're formed and what they look like, like a couple here and there isn't a big deal. Doesn't necessarily mean you have cancer. Um, 80% of calcifications have nothing to do with cancer. They're just calcium. Um, So I don't want people to like think like, oh my gosh, my doctor said calcifications, I have cancer. Like, no, (laughs) Um, you know, a lot of it is just calcium in your body. Um, So like I said, my right breast covered in calcifications. Um, So at this point, my option, only option was to have a mastectomy, uh, but I, my choice was I could do a bilateral mastectomy or a unilateral mastectomy. Unilateral is just removing the right breast because there was nothing in my left side. Okay. It was great. Right. Um, so I could have one removed the right one that was affected, or I could have both removed. Um, my doctor said that he couldn't tell me what to do. He could only give me statistics. He's like, I don't even want to, he goes, right. even provide like, if you know, if I was your daughter, what would you tell your daughter to do? He's like, because my job is not to like point you in the direction of what to do with your body. My job is to give you the facts. Um, and I appreciated that because like I said, it helped me feel like I was like my own advocate and I had a say in like what was happening. Um, hold on. I just want to close my sliding glass door. Yeah. Um, so the facts that he gave me were that if I, um, only removed the right side, there'd be a 50 to 60% chance in my lifetime that I could develop cancer in the left breast 50 to 60. I was like, that's a lot. That's a lot. It's very high. Um, but if I were to remove both breasts, the, um, statistics of breast cancer coming back would be 3%. So I was like, that's a huge jump. That's huge. Yeah. Huge. Um, but you know, he presented those statistics. Cause I basically asked him like, why would anyone choose the unilateral option? Like what? And just based on my age and the fact that I don't have children yet, he said a lot of women want to breastfeed. And when you have a mastectomy, you can't do that. Gotcha. So he said some women will keep the one side and then have it removed later after they've, you know, had children and breastfed if that's something they wanted to do. I was like, I'm not taking my chances. Like, you know, let's do what we need to do. So that was hard. I think like hearing, I think I handled hearing 
that I had to have a double mastectomy or that I was going to have a double mastectomy harder than hearing I had cancer. Wow. I mean, you, uh, you are a strong warrior. That's all I got to say. I mean, you, I, I, I'm blown away right now. I'm not really speechless, but just hearing your story is, it's inspiring. You're, you're very strong. I feel like you have such a great head on your shoulders. You fought for, Hey, this is, you know, I'm going to push and push and push and push. And I mean, I can't imagine ha- like receiving that news and, and being like, Hey, yeah. this is what you kind of should do, but it was up to you, which is just amazing. Um, and giving you the choice, right. Because like you were saying, like, his, his suggestion versus, you know, what you wanted to do, you know, is yeah. kind of your, your choice, but the, the, stati- the statistics of it was probably just like, yeah, this is, you know what, this is what I got to do. And yeah. So that's what I knew. That's what I had to do. But like, yeah. I took it really hard. Like I remember getting home and just like breaking down because I was like, this is like, not what I want to do at 30 years old. Right. Right. So Um, so on August 31st, I met the rest of my oncology team. I met my oncologist. I met my radiologist. I was assigned a nurse navigator, a social worker, and a dietitian. Um, I opted for a double mastectomy with reconstruction. Okay. Um, So the only person that was missing from my team at that point was my plastic surgeon, Um, so my breast surgeon kind of put together my team for me with people that he had worked closely with that, like he trusted. And for me, that was super important of having like a cohesiveness, um, moving into it. Like basically the day that I met my team, they were already like briefed and like privy to like what my situation was and like how many ultrasounds I I had had and how long I had symptoms and what I had decided, which helped in not having to like rehash my story, like absolutely times. Um, so that was like super helpful. So I was like super appreciative of that. Um, and then, you know, I ended up, um, meeting my plastic surgeon. Um, I met with like two people got two different opinions. I think that's also really important um, to stress that like, if you're not satisfied with the care, the medical care that you're receiving or what a doctor has to say, or if you're just like, I want a second opinion, go. Absolutely. Like, don't be afraid. Like you're going to like hurt their feelings of being like, Hey, you know, I really want to go get a second opinion on this. Um, like you don't have to feel bad about that. Like you should feel like completely and a hundred percent comfortable and confident in like who is treating you, um, for anything, whether it's, you know, your primary care physician or, you know, your gynecologist or your oncologist, um, you know, whatever the case is, like, if you're not happy with, you know, the person that's treating you, like definitely seek a second opinion or switch doctors. Um, so I met with two plastic surgeons, um, cause I wanted to get a second opinion because a mastectomy with reconstruction is not a boob job. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people will say that like, oh, at least you're getting a boob job. Like, well, no, right. it's a completely different thing. So for me, it was important to have someone who had done that before and had experience because it wasn't the same. Definitely. Um, so on September, um, September 2nd, I ended up making a decision about my plastic surgeon and we move, we're starting to move forward with, um, my surgery. So my plan was to move quickly. Like I was diagnosed on August 18th and had my double mastectomy on September 22nd. So about a month had passed. Okay. Um, I was trying to move quickly in the event that, well, I didn't want to have chemotherapy. So or radiation or anything. So we were trying to keep the cancer from progressing. So my entire team was on board with like, you know, let's move quick and let's see what we can do. Um, I squeezed in a trip, another trip to New York. So I went to New York and, um, for the weekend, which was great again, you know, I'm in New York, my cancer's in Florida. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of like mindset. Um, Yeah. So it was helpful. You know, it's like a little bit daunting. Like you're going to have a double mastectomy. It like finally gets like on the schedule and now it's just like a waiting game. So 
you know, having trips and traveling and working and being around family and friends was super helpful. And like, you know, I don't want to say past the time, but that's exactly what it was past right. the time of surgery. Keep your mind occupied a little bit. And exactly. I mean, um, I love traveling. So traveling is a great, great de-stressor, if you will. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, so September was a whirlwind. Um, I finally get, um, you know, my appointment for my surgery is September 20, Wednesday, September 22nd. So between, um, you know, finding, going to New York and coming back, um, the studio hosted a tap for tatas class, um, where we raised money and raised awareness, um, for breast cancer. So we ended up raising money for the Florida breast cancer foundation, um, which is an incredible organization. Um, you know, I, I'm extremely lucky in the sense that I live in South Florida and, you know, I have a steady job. I have good healthcare. I have access to everything that I need, but there are people and women in South Florida that don't. And the Florida Breast Cancer Foundation does just that. They um, provide education and free mammograms to people in South Florida. Um, So, yeah. So we chose um, that organization to give back to. And it was just, it was a great event. It was awesome. Um, so we did that. I took one more trip. <laughs> um, I actually uh, went on a bachelorette party um, for a wedding that I was supposed to be, for a wedding that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that was my last trip with my old boobs. <sighs> um, <laughs> Uh, and then September 14th, we started all the pre-op stuff for, you know, my mastectomy and it was like starting to get real and, you know, leading up to everything, um, was crazy. Um, so I had to go and see my primary care physician to clear me for surgery. Okay. And this poor woman, I see her in February. She, we think I have rheumatoid arthritis. This was also my first time seeing her as my primary care physician. I was like, I had established her. Wow. So she thinks I have this, you know, she gives me these names of these, you know, specialists to go see and then never hears from me. And I never, you know, reach out to these specialists and then I'm diagnosed and then I'm calling her office for an appointment because I'm like, well, you need to clear me for surgery. What kind of surgery are you having? Oh, I'm having a double mastectomy. She was like, I'm sorry, what? I was like, yeah, so um, remember like when I came and I was like experiencing these symptoms, I'm like, turns out like I have breast cancer and I'm having a double mastectomy and like literally like she was like floored, like what? So I went in to have her clear me for surgery and this is her second time meeting me ever. And uh, it's to clear me to have a bilateral mastectomy, which is just crazy. Um. So Tuesday, the 21st, I had my final appointment at my plastic surgeon to draw and map out the incision sites and go over like any necessary information before. Um, So the way the surgery works is my breast surgeon performs the mastectomy. Um, So they remove all of the breast tissue. um, And when you have a mastectomy, all of the breast tissue is removed. Um, including like some, like a lot of, um, depending on what you have, like if you have a lump, what side, things like that, but they'll remove, you know, like my right side where it was, they removed a little bit more tissue, like closer to my chest wall. And, um, you know, they'll sometimes go up into like the armpit area. It just like depends on your body type, but all of the tissue is removed. Okay. So that's the difference between Uh, like a boob job and like a mastectomy. So when you go in for a boob job, they're not removing breast tissue. Like for an augmentation, you're not having breast tissue removed. You're just adding an implant. Whereas a mastectomy, you're losing all of your breast tissue. Um, Breast tissue, milk ducts, everything. Um, I could not um, keep my nipples. Um, There's like two different kinds of surgery. You can have nipple sparing, which is like where you can keep your nipples. Um, I unfortunately could not, um, my left side wasn't affected. So they were like, you could keep it, but from meeting with my plastic surgeon, he was like, if you're looking for symmetry, he's Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're going to get the best result with losing both. Gotcha. Um, that freaked me out. I'm not going to lie. Freaked me out a lot. 
Um, and I was like, what are my options for like nipple reconstruction? And I got like all this information. And then after I got out of surgery, I was like, I don't really, and like, you know, from like seeing, you know, um, you know, my breasts now and things like that. I'm like, I don't really think I need nipples. So it's just funny how like I changed, like, I thought it was going to be this big thing that I was going to like care about. And now I'm like, I don't even think I, I need them. <laughs> um, so night before my surgery, couldn't sleep. All right. Like I had mentioned, this is going to be a two part podcast episode. So please be sure to tune in and listen to part two to hear the rest of Nicole's powerful story. Please connect with me at My Naked Mindset on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, all the things. And definitely feel free to connect with Nicole. Her Instagram is Coley, C-O-L-E-E underscore G. And please give her all of the love and definitely tune in to part two. I love you all. Bye.